0: As many of you know, today is a huge day for sport, if you're into that kind of thing. This afternoon is the Wimbledon men's final, which I'm sure Dora will be watching. Uh, And then later on is the Euro 26-16 soccer final, that many of us have been glued to over the last few weeks. Now I know that some of you, some of us, probably think that the salaries of these these soccer players or these tennis stars are just ridiculous. The amount of money that they make these days, and sometimes their behaviour leaves a lot to be desired as well. But I still still think that we can admire the dedication and the commitment that has got those athletes to the top of their sport. When I was younger, I used to play a little bit of hockey for my school team. I played golf very badly at my local golf club, and enjoyed a bit of cycling. But I was never going to be any good at any of those things. And it wasn't just because I didn't have natural ability, because I don't really have any of that, but it was also because for me, sport was just a hobby. It was just a bit of fun. Something to do now and again to get a little bit of rest from everything else. But these professional athletes, they have devoted their lives to their sport. They've endured thousands of hours of training on the field and off it. They have endured strict diets and lifestyle restrictions, endless practice sessions and tactical exercises, numerous injuries as well as weeks of rehabilitation. Their success hasn't happened overnight. It has come through hard work and dedication and commitment. And it was similar in the early church in Jerusalem. Last week, we were looking at at Pentecost. And we saw how the church was transformed that day. Those who believed in Jesus were all baptized by the Holy Spirit, who came to live in them and empower them to live for God. And for his kingdom. And in the power and the freedom and the joy of the Holy Spirit, these believers effectively declared the wonders of God in their city. And so last week we saw that church as it was meant to be is a community of people who have been transformed by receiving the Holy Spirit through their faith in Jesus. But if we conclude from that, That all we need in our Christian lives is to believe in Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit and then sit back and wait for God to work in and through us. If that's what we think, then we're going to miss out on God's plan for our life. The church that we were meant to be it isn't only a changed community, it's also a committed community. It's a community that is committed. And we're going to read again from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to break in on verse 41, and then read to the end of the chapter. So if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, down to the, the end of the chapter. Those who accepted the message, that's those who accepted his message, were baptized, and about three thousand were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. We know what commitment looks like in other areas of life, don't we? A committed parent loves and provides for what their kids need every day. A committed student turns up to all of his lectures and they study hard to pass all of their exams. A committed musician practices again and again to perfect that piece of music. Isn't it strange then? Sometimes we use a different standard when it comes to talking about a committed Christian. We think that we're doing really well when we give, give up one day in seven to attend church, or five minutes each morning to read the Bible and pray, or maybe 10% of our money given as a, as a gift to God's work. But this lower standard wasn't the kind of Christianity. ...of the early church. On Pentecost, those who accepted his message, it says in verse 41, were baptised. In obedience to Jesus' commands, they expressed their commitment to Jesus through being baptised. They went down into water, went right under the water, and came back up out of the water... And this publicly declared their identification with Jesus in his death, and in his burial, and in his resurrection. But it was also a declaration of their commitment to live this new life now for Jesus. To, to declare that Jesus was now their Lord, and they were now living this brand new life. It was like saying goodbye to their old life. And they're now living this life for Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus, and you have not yet been baptised, then I would really encourage you to take that step of obedience to Jesus, and express your commitment in this way that Jesus gave us. If you want to, you can come and speak to me afterwards, and we'll talk more about this. But of course, the commitment of the early church wasn't just expressed in baptism. It wasn't just a one off commitment. They lived this out each day of their lives. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to four different activities. This means they persisted in them. They were faithful in them. They continued to be involved in them day after day. I don't know if you still use an old-fashioned calendar or wall planner. Each year I stick a wall planner up on my wall in my my office. And as I go through the year, I try and put up on the the wall planner the things that I've committed to doing. They're up there because if at all possible, I'm going to be there. And everything else I'm going to do that year is hopefully going to be fitted around those things that I'm committed to. I think this is what's described here in this early church. The early church were committed to these four activities. These were their priorities. And everything else in their life, and there were probably loads of other things, got planned around those four priorities. So what were these four things that this community was committed to? Well, first of all, verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These people had been baptised by the Holy Spirit when they trusted in Jesus. And Jesus had promised that when He, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit would help them to remember and to understand the teachings of Jesus and to apply it to their situations and to live it out each day. This is one of the, the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But it's really interesting to see, isn't it, that this didn't mean that they didn't need to continue to learn about God from other people. They still needed human teachers to help them to learn more about God and what He wanted in their lives. Yes, they could rely on the Holy Spirit to guide them and to teach them, but God also wanted them to listen to the, to the teachers in their church. And so this Spirit-filled church was committed to listening and learning from these men, these apostles that Jesus had commissioned and sent to teach His truth. Now today we don't have apostles in that sense anymore. They were the, the foundation of, of our church. But we do have their teaching contained in the New Testament. And Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And so if we are going to be the church that God wants us to be, then we need to be committed to God's word. When Joshua was commissioned for his service, The Lord challenged him, Joshua chapter 1 and 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And we need that same commitment in our lives. To daily read the Bible. To allow God's word to to renew our minds, to sink into our hearts, to change our lives. God's word needs to be the standard of our truth that we accept. It needs to be the, the mirror in which we see ourselves accurately. It needs to be our training manual for discipleship. It needs to be the daily food that our heart cries out for. Peter says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You can still remember kids in my house craving that milk. They they let you know that they want that milk, don't they? They cry and cry. They're desperate for, for it. They're desperate for that food. Peter says that that should be the same in our hearts. That we are desperate For the food of God's word. It also needs to be our guidebook. For living. To direct every decision in our lives. Your word is a lamp to my feet. And a light for my path. It's God's word that needs to direct us in our lives. And each day, God's word needs to be part of our armour. As we take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God attacking the lies of Satan, destroying the temptation that this world brings to us as we reject it and confront those lies. And as we let God's word sink into our hearts, it will help us live the life that God has called us to. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As believers in Jesus, We need both to be spirit-filled and Bible-focused. But this also needs to be our commitment in our church. Colossians chapter 3 and 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. We need to learn God's truth, not just for ourselves through reading the Bible daily in our own lives, but also when we share it with each other, when we learn and discuss the Bible together. So as we meet together each Sunday, or whether we meet together throughout the week in our small groups, our focus shouldn't be our own ideas or our own thoughts, but instead we need to study God's Word. Really let God's word speak into our hearts and change our lives. I and mean, we need to share it together and learn from each other as we look at God's word together. I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes I think that there are churches that emphasize Bible teaching. And then there are other churches that emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. But if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, then we need both. It's not an either-or choice. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And so if we're filled with the Spirit of God, then we will also be committed to learning and living out the Word of God. So this was our first commitment. They were committed to learning and living out God's Word. Secondly, the early church also devoted themselves to the fellowship. They knew that Christianity was designed to be lived out in community. Right back in the book of Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. That covers every aspect of our life, not just husband and wife situations, but in every aspect of our lives. We are designed for community. We are designed to live our lives with others. And this is absolutely true in our Christian lives. We're not designed to live for Christ on our own. God's plan is is for us to live as part of a Christian community, a local church. Committed to each other as a body. Reflecting our membership of that universal church. So, so Paul in Romans 12 calls us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in that close and intimate relationship. And so at Pentecost, after th- these 300 people had put their faith in Jesus and they were baptized, Luke records how 300, 3,000 were added to their number that day. They were added to their number. These Christians didn't just go off and live for Jesus on their own. Instead, they were added to the church in Jerusalem. They clearly and visibly became part of that Christian community. We in our church express that through our membership which is the the public declaration that we are are committing ourselves to this local church, this community of Christians. If you're not a member and you would like to be, or you'd like to talk about it, then come and speak to me again afterwards. I would love to have that chat with you. But of course, membership isn't just about standing up in front of church and saying, I want to be part of this church. If that's all it would be, then it would be pointless. It would be empty. Membership is an ongoing commitment. It's something that in this church, they lived out every day. In this little section that we read in Acts chapter 2, this togetherness of the church is, is, is emphasised again and again. For example, in, in verse 44, it says, All the believers were together. They knew that in coming into relationship with God through faith in Jesus, they'd also come into relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. In receiving the one Spirit, they had been united together into one body, as 1 Corinthians 12 says, that we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. This didn't mean, (coughs) excuse me, this didn't mean that they all agreed with each other. Or that they all naturally clicked with each other. There were still problems. There were still personalities that threatened this community. But they were committed to being in this together. In fact, in Acts chapter 2 verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together. They were so eager to share their lives together that they met up whenever they could. They didn't try and minimise how many times they met together. They maximised it as much as possible. And this wasn't just at official meeting times or services. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. They opened up their homes and they offered hospitality to each other. And they also gave sacrificially to meet each other's needs. Verse 45, they gave to anyone as they had need. And as a community then they reached out. To the people around them, as it says in verse 47, the Lord added to the number daily, those who are being saved. We to see that in more detail as we look through uh, the, the book of Acts uh, over the next few weeks, but this is what this church was like. They were committed to being a fellowship, a community, a family of God's people. Now, of course, in our day and generation, with our different commitments and responsibilities, how we put this into practice might look a little bit different from the book of Acts. Not suggesting that if we, we, we must meet every day. You might be sick of the sight of us each other if we do. But it's not saying that. We do have different demands and different commitments, of course. So the practice of how we put this, how we, 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 we live this out, might be different. But this principle is absolutely It's absolutely crucially important. Jesus wants us to be committed to the fellowship of his people. On the night he was arrested, Jesus prayed, May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me if we, were go- we are going to be the church that Jesus wants us to be, we need to be committed to expressing our unity with our brothers and sisters here in our own church and also, of course, in our wider community. This early church was committed to each other. But what's really important is when they met together, their focus was on someone else. Look at verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread they were committed to taking broken bread and eating it together and taking a cup of wine and drinking it together it was such a simple and ordinary thing to do and yet they did it because the Lord had told them to 1 Corinthians 11 verse 24 this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So this wasn't just an act of obedience to Jesus' command. This was also an act of worship as those simple symbols of broken bread and a cup of wine helped them to have the right focus as they met together. When they gathered together, their eyes weren't on themselves and their own desires or their own problems and difficulties. In other words, a focus on the, the apostles and their ministry. Instead, their eyes were fixed on Jesus. Their desire was to remember him, to worship him, to glorify him. Church is meant to be a Christ-centered community. And the breaking of bread helps us to get back to the heart of our faith as we remember the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And remembering the cross in this way would help them not to forget the basis of their relationship with God. These people have been brought up in a religion where righteousness was thought to have been earned through careful obedience to the laws and the rules of the religion. And forgiveness was achieved through an animal sacrifice offered by a priest at a temple. But as they ate that broken bread, they would remember that Jesus' body was broken on the cross for them to pay for their sins. As they drank that wine, they would remember that Jesus' blood was shed for their full and their free forgiveness through the communion they would come back again and again to the foot of the cross and they would remember that it's by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from, from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one could boast communion would bring them back right to the very foundation of their life and their relationship with God. It would help them to remember God's grace. And that's why we need to be committed to the breaking of bread. Because it focuses our hearts on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And it helps us to hold on to that truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And in Christ alone. This church was committed to God's word. They were committed to God's people. They were committed to remembering God's son. Lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. This church prayed. It was a regular practice to pray together. And it was also their first response in a time of crisis. This needs to be an essential characteristic of our lives in our church. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. We need to be devoted to prayer in all its varieties. Committed to worshipping our Lord and celebrating who He is. To praising and thanking God for all that He has done in our lives. To confessing our sins and receiving God's forgiveness. To bringing our needs before God. To praying for others. To pouring our hearts to Him. Even just being quiet and listening for God's voice. This isn't supposed to be a heavy duty or just a kind of dry ritual in our lives. This is supposed to be a mind-blowing privilege. So the writer of Hebrews says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If we've put our faith in Christ, then we can come right into God's intimate presence. Come to our Heavenly Father. Whatever time of day or night, wherever we are, whatever situation we find ourselves in, and just spend time with Him. We have the privilege to pray continually. I wonder if we're willing to be the kind of church where prayer is a priority. Do we make it a priority in our own personal everyday lives when nobody else is looking? And do we do everything that we can do to be involved in our church prayer times? Is prayer obviously the heart of our, of our life, our Christian lives and our church life? Is it a priority? Listen to James's challenge in James chapter 4. You do not have because you don't ask God. He suggests that we might have needs in our life, needs for help or strength or power or holiness or victory, or even just to experience God's intimate presence. And these needs remain unmet because we just fail to pray. I wonder what would happen in our church. If we were more committed to spending time in God's presence. So, this is church as it was meant to be a community of Christians that are wholehearted in their dedication to learning and living out God's truth, in sharing with God's people, in focusing on God's Son, and spending time in God's presence. Of course, that commitment is costly. It requires time and effort and dedication and sacrifice. But if we think about those professional athletes that we mentioned at the start of this morning. How they dedicate their lives to nothing more than the glory and rewards of their sport. That are passing and temporary. How much more should we be willing To give everything that we are and everything that we have to be the church that brings glory and honour to our God.